Good morning. I want to speak to you this morning about a specific moment in your life uh, as a Christian. You know, our, our world, our culture is filled with many temptations to do things that are not good for us, to do things that God is not pleased with. Uh, and that remains true for all of us. Uh, if you call yourself a Christian, then at times you are subject to temptations. And there's that moment when you are particularly vulnerable that I want to bring up with you this morning. I know all of us share that. I'm not talking about those moments where you look at other people and you say, boy, they're tempted to evil. Why can't they just resist? What's their problem? No, I'm talking about that moment when you, you are particularly tempted to do something that you know is wrong. And as I say, these moments are all around us all the time. And you never know when they're going to come in your life, or maybe because you're familiar with the temptation, you do know when it's going to come. I was speaking with uh, some uh, man recently. He was talking to me about temptation that he had to speak uh, falsehood, that he was tempted to lie about a certain situation that had many, that had serious consequences to it. And as he talked about, he, he, he talked about just kind of freezing when he would think about the fear we have the, the effects that would come, and he would get afraid of, of what would be the result of telling the truth. And those effects just uh, kind of caused him to freeze up. It's almost like being in front of a, a wild beast, a wild animal. You know, when you get in front of something that's suddenly like in front of you, like a grizzly bear or something, like you freeze up. And uh, that was uh, the way it sounded to me as he was talking. And so he was unable to tell the truth in that situation. Uh, I help a group of uh, men who are tempted in a certain way sexually. And as I listen to them, try to uh, help them, uh, I listen to their stories. They talk about how it, it almost feels like there's this overwhelming force that comes upon them. And it's, it's, it's completely irresistible. And it's, and it's weird because, like, why can't I just resist this? It's almost like there's something supernatural happening um, when they are in that moment, this feeling of, of powerlessness uh, before their temptation. Um, I uh, was just talking with a friend actually recently also, and she has a certain temptation related to food. And she was explaining how, you know, when she walks by the refrigerator, it talks to her. And, you know, so I laughed. So it's not funny. She said, no, no, no. When I walk by, it's, the refrigerator actually talks to me actually says things to me, like, come on, <laughs> come on over. It's like a conversation with the refrigerator. So what is it that we're talking about here? What is the, there's that moment, it's almost surreal when you, and you're familiar with this, if you are familiar with temptation, that you're in this moment and it almost seems like there are other things going, there are, there's a whole lot that's going on around that moment of temptation. Well, I want, to, I want us to be able to address that because this is an important part of what it is to be a Christian, to be able to overcome in that moment, to be able to respond in that moment and deal with those times of temptations. So I want to address that with you this morning. And to do that, we're going to step backwards in the book of Mark. We've been going through and uh, in this series and, and, and reading about the immediate ministry of Jesus Christ and how it is, it is close to us and he does things immediately. But what we're going to do is actually take a step back before all those wonderful things that Jesus does to the time before that where something had to happen before he started ministering. 
before he started preaching, before he started healing, before he started doing all these wonderful acts of ministry, there was something that had to happen first. And if it didn't happen, the ministry that you're reading about all through the Gospel of Mark couldn't happen. And to do that, we're going to look at this passage in chapter 1. Before Jesus came and was able to say, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Before he could even utter those words, this has to happen. And as we're, we're going to read, when we start to read the passage, you'll notice that it talks about, in the first verse, the Holy Spirit driving Jesus Christ into the wilderness. It says the Holy Spirit drove Jesus Christ into the wilderness. And it's a rather striking statement that the gospel writer uh, puts there, and it really is a good translation. It says drives out. He drove Jesus out into the wilderness because it's the same word that is used when Jesus casts out a demon. Ekbalo in Greek, it's, it's this word. It's like there is no ifs or ands or buts about it. That demon is going. There's no, there's no two ways about it. It's a, it's a very forceful word. And yet here it is describing something going on between the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. He's driven out into the wilderness. And the author, John Mark, is phrasing it that way almost certainly to get us to ask the question, why? Why is it that Jesus needs to be driven out into the wilderness? Well, it is because Jesus, from the beginning, we see this throughout the Gospel of Mark, but from the beginning, he is making his life about our lives. Jesus Christ came to make his story about our story. And in this case, he's doing it. He's going out there to do battle for us. And the battle is about temptation. So please stand with me as you're able to do, as you're able, and, and we're going to read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. I'm going to read from the RSV version. Again, Mark chapter 1, we're going to read verses 12 through 15. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please make yourself comfortable. As I speak to you about what we find out in the wilderness, and, and what we're going to do this morning is just look at three things that Jesus finds when he goes out into the wilderness, when he's driven out there into the wilderness, there are three things that he encounters. And it's very important for us to understand what they are because it shows why Jesus had to be driven out there and it shows us what the battle is about. So verse 13, the first, the first thing of these three that you find out in the wilderness, that Jesus found out in the wilderness, was the wild beasts. Mark says that Jesus Christ, you see, was out there with the wild beast. Well, what's a wild beast? Wild beast is a force of nature that is chaotic, that cannot be overcome, that has not been tamed. That's a wild beast, right? 
That's what you find out in the wilderness. You find those forces of nature that, that haven't been tamed, that seem, seem to be overwhelming. They, they're, they're chaotic. They're out of control. Now, it's, uh, it's good for us to understand this. We have kind of a wimpy view of the wilderness, okay? For us, you know, we say, oh, we go out to a state park, you know, we set up our tent and campsite, and, you know, we're out in the wilderness, right? We're wilderness camping, you know, friends. Let me tell you something. If somebody's built a campsite for you, it's not the wilderness, <laughs> okay? If somebody has a bathroom set up for you to go, <laughs> that's not the wilderness. In fact, if somebody's made a trail through the woods, that's not the wilderness, this wilderness, the wilderness that's talking about here, is chaotic. I used to live uh, on the border of Nevada and Utah, right on the edge of the Great Salt Lake Desert. And uh, I had to get up every morning uh, and walk across a portion of that desert in order to get to work. And it was, it was magnificent. It was beautiful. These browns out there and, you know, the geology of the place, just fantastic. But it was untamed. Um, and this was brought home to me. I lived, uh, I was kind of hard up at the time, uh, but a, a very kind guy uh, let me s sleep on the floor of his trailer home. He had a kind of trailer house there, and I was sleeping on the floor of it. And I, re I remember the, the morning, um, I used to have to get up before, before dawn and walk across part of the desert in the dark. But I remember I got up one morning, you know, and pulled back the sheet, and there was a scorpion between the sheets. Um, it wasn't a large scorpion, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> a scorpion. <laughs> it, was a, it was a scorpion, and that was that would have brought home to me, you know, that this this is uh, uh, this is unsafe. You know, after that, forever after, I would whenever I you know was going to put my boots on, I always turned them upside down first and knocked them together and shook them out, <laughs> make sure that when I stuck my foot in, I wasn't sharing it with something else. Um, inside my boot. But that was just at the edge of the desert, just on the edge of the wilderness. It was a place where control had not been taken. There were untamed forces of nature, okay? So that's number one. First thing Jesus finds out there is the untamed forces of nature. Second, verse 13 also, we see the wilderness is the place of Satan. You know, when you get out into the wilderness, it's, it's, it's a place where you're reminded where things are not in control. And so in a sense, it's a place of the curse. It's where one meets supernatural forces, where Jesus Christ, when he goes out there, he finds the great enemy of our souls lurking there under the cover of chaos. Places where there was not where there's not control that's been extended by people. And that's what's out there. It's not just a place of untamed forces. It's a place of evil, where evil lurks, where things, uh, forces that are hostile to you and your soul, to humanity, is there, out there. That's what Jesus finds there. You know, there's this wonderful documentary that I watched, gosh, it's now a, a while ago. It was, made, it was made in 2005. It was made by Warner Herzog, and it was called Grizzly Man. And uh, so you've seen it. Some of you have seen this. 
It's a terrific documentary. Warner Herzog, you, you've probably seen him in movies. He's, he shows up as his character actor sometimes, and he's always very spooky to watch. He's always a very uh, scary character. But he's also a director, and he made this documentary of, of this man named Timothy Treadwell, who was this guy who had it in his, he decided that he was going to go out and live among the grizzlies, I think out in, in uh, kind of a wilderness of Alaska. He's going to go and live out there, and he's going to commune with the spirit of nature. And he had this idea that when you did that, you could make friends with the animals, you know, and that you could live in, in, in kind of harmony with them, you know, sort of like Snow White, you know, when the birds come down and help her fold the laundry and stuff like that. And so Timothy Treadwell was going out and kind of doing this with grizzlies. Grizzly bears is going to live out among uh, grizzlies. And it's a fascinating documentary because Herzog takes actual footage. He, he documents himself, this guy Treadwell. And so he takes his footage and puts it together uh, in a movie. And it's a great uh, contrast uh, between the maker of the movie and Treadwell because, you know, you see this great hubris in this man who thinks... Uh, he could just go out and commune with nature. Um, and in the middle of this one pie where he comes upon this dead box, you know, Herzog has this voiceover. And he says, this is what he says, I differ with Timothy Treadwell because I believe in this German accent that he has. I believe that the common denominator of the universe is not harmony, but chaos, hostility, and murder. It's like murder, you know? And so it's, it's, just a, it's just a very jarring contrast. You have Timothy Treadwell, you know, tiptoeing through the tulips. And, and you have Herzog coming out with a much more realistic uh, view of what is out there in the wilderness. Not just wild, it is, there's, there's murder out there. And by the end of the film, if you've seen it, you know, the uh, Herzog's perspective is justified. <laughs> by the end of the movie. There is something uncontrollable, something in the uncontrollable that's hostile to the humanity. And, and, it, and anybody wishing to capitalize on that uncontrol will be found out there. And so there are two things that Jesus finds out in the wilderness. For Jesus Christ is a place, one, of untamed forces and also of evil. And that is why it becomes for him a place of temptation. And the other Gospels go into what the temptations specifically are for Christ. But here, Mark does a very good way, a good, good job of showing us what it is that he's up against here. Um, it's helpful for us to understand this, friends, if we are trying to deal with temptation. If you have an area in your life where you really are tempted and you know that moment when you are vulnerable to, to, to do wrong, and you know it's wrong, and you have a hard time resisting, it's very helpful to understand that this moment of temptation is very similar to what Jesus went through for us. Your temptation is like a trip into the wilderness. And Jesus went there in order to be, as Hebrews 4 says, tempted in all points like we are. And so that's what's going on in temptation. You've got to recognize you've got the natural and the supernatural. And they're commingling. They're commingling together. It's a place where influences are heightened, where your sensitivities 
come into a different zones where, you know, your refrigerator talks to you. And these things, these things are intertwined. It's interesting to me that, you know, in verse 13, all those verbs in the Greek are in the imperfect. You know, that's a tense that means the past continuous action. And all of those verbs in that sentence are in the imperfect, which kind of suggests to us the way that it's written, that it, it's kind of all happening together. Like you could translate it, he was being tempted by Satan and he was facing the wild beast at the same time as if they were intertwined. And if you've ever been tempted, you know, this should sound very familiar to you. This is the point where there's an intermingling of the supernatural and the natural, the wild natural. And that's why if you like do a study sometimes and go through the scriptures, you'll find that those two are intertwined quite a bit. Like, uh, for example, one time later in the Gospels, um, the disciples come back from a missionary trip they were on. And Jesus is uh, rejoicing with them, and things are really great. And they come back, and they're very excited. And Jesus is giving them an interpretation of what just happened. And what he says, this is in the Gospel of Luke, is, I have given you authority, quote, I've given you authority to trample on snakes, scorpions, and to overcome the power of the enemy. So notice how that kind of just rolls off Jesus' tongue there so easily. He's got snakes, scorpions, and Satan <laughs> all together. It's one of these places where you just see it intermingled. And you know, I don't really have to tell you, do I, that the serpent and Satan have been intertwined since the very beginning. It's, it's because the enemy takes advantage of natural forces in an off-kilter state. So if we're going to understand our temptations, first of all, if we're going to deal with them properly, we need to understand this about them. To see that there are these powerful natural forces that exist, and they exist not only outside of us, but inside of us as well. There are these forces inside of us, untamed. And then there's the enemy taking advantage of those in our lives. So if you leave out one side of this, you can't really deal with your temptation. And most, a lot of people, when they think about the point of temptation, they leave out one side or the other. So, for example, you take a secular mindset. In a secular mindset, it's only the wild beasts. You know, if there's a temptation to do something wrong, something immoral, it's just a matter of wild beasts. They don't see the other side at all. There's nothing, there's no, it's not a spiritual episode that's going on. It's just a wild, it's just a wild beast because it's just a part of our evolutionary heritage. I was reading this book by a, a prominent neuroscientist, Michael Gazzaniga, and he was arguing in this book, The Ethical Brain, it was called, The Ethical Brain. He was saying, you know, our personal beliefs that we have, they're just an evolutionary vestige. They're just a product of, of the way that we've developed through time. And so you might have these particular certain set of beliefs, but they are just, you know, they had some survival advantage at some point, and you could take them or leave them. And you could actually kind of reshape them now to be what you want them to be. So you see, he's only seeing one side of it. It's just these wild beasts, and you might want to tame them. So he says, and this is a quote, 
quote, it's the job of neuroethics to better define what it is to be human. It's the job of neuroethics to better define what it is to be human. Oh, that's great. That's what we need, right? We need a group of scientists getting together and telling us what it means to be more human. That works great, doesn't it? That always works great when that happens. You know, it was terrific for Germany in the last century. You know, yeah, let's do that. Good luck. Good luck with that. You're not going to deal with your temptation that way. And if you take that mindset on, you're, you're not going to be able to even address that moment of vulnerability. Now, you say to me, oh, but Pastor Sam, I'm not like that. I'm not like one of those secular peoples. I believe in God. You know, I'm trying to follow Christ, so I'm not going to adopt that secular mindset. But let me tell you something. This mindset affects you and me more than you realize. More than you realize. How do I know that? Because what's the first thing that you think when you are tempted to do something that you know is wrong? Now, again, not looking at somebody else and saying, oh, they've got that temptation. What's the matter with them? No, when you are tempted in that area where you are tempted to do something wrong, what is the first thing that you think? Isn't it this? It's only natural. It's only natural what I'm being tempted to do. This is sort of the way that it is. You know, this is the way that I am. This is my, this is a, this is my, my orientation. It's only the natural thing for me to do. You know, what is that? It's this kind of secular mindset in which we are swimming that begins to affect how we think. It's not going to help you. Now, there's leaving out that side, but there's also the problem of leaving out the other side, what we might call the religious mindset. The religious mindset, you leave out the wild beasts, and you think that whenever it's a matter of sin, it's really just a matter of the devil. And so in some Christian traditions, you have, whenever it's a problem of sin, your problem is that you have to cast out a demon, right? And uh, that is not helpful to you in your temptation because there are other things involved. Um, now, you might say to me, oh, Pastor Sam, I'm not in that camp either because I'm a good Presbyterian. So, you know, I don't, you know, we don't, uh, we don't do demons, <laughs> Right? I should tell you, though, as a Presbyterian pastor, I have cast out demons before, but not every day. But when you, uh, you start to think that it's only a matter of you and the devil, then you start to see certain things. You start to fail to recognize that there are certain processes in you that are human, that are just part of being how God created you, even if they're out of control. They're untamed forces, but they're still God-given forces inside of you. When you start to do that, you can't really deal with your temptations in the right way. So whether you think it's only the devil or whether you think it's only the wild beasts, uh, you can't really deal with it. The biblical view is that they're both out there. And you might have desires that are good. They, we have desires that are bad. <laughs> there are desires that are bad, but there are desires also that are good. They're just untamed. So let's look at this. How do you see your moment of temptation? Suppose you're tempted with a sexual immorality. Okay, what is that about? Suppose you're here and you really are, you know, ashamed of this, but you're addicted to pornography. What's going on? You can get out of it. It takes some certain definite steps, but you can get out of it. But you first have to realize that this is a matter of, there's a physical desire here that's, that's part of how you're made. 
But it's not just that. You can't just dismiss your lust as, you know, a wild beast. I was talking with a, a, a young man. We were, we were talking about kind of the situation. We noticed that when we exercise, especially when we, when we do heavy exercise, it actually increases kind of the possibility of temptation. It actually increases physical temptation when you exercise, you do really heavy exercise. And we were noticing that, you know, it's kind of a physical phenomenon. Um, but, you know, we continued to talk about how uh, we, we can deal with this by replacing um, our passions. Like, we can't just blame lust on testosterone, you know, because testosterone can, can be directed into other directions. Uh, it can be used uh, for self-sacrifice, not for lust. So it's not just the testosterone, but it's the enemy they are taking advantage of that in our lives. And uh, there are ways to deal with it that we understand there are passions that we have can, that can be redirected, that, there are, that they can be replaced. That's one of the strategies of avoiding uh, temptation is to take a healthy passion instead and to pursue that in those moments of temptation until it passes. And as you resist, it will pass. But supposing your, your temptation is to an angry outburst. Suppose you're somebody who says, you know, what, what really brings... What really besets me is that I get, I get so angry and I'm tending to lash out of my anger. And, you, and that's an area where you know that God does not want you to and you know that you're doing wrong. How do you to understand that? Well, certainly you can, you can see it. This is a wild beast, right, that you're dealing with inside of you. But it's not just a wild beast. And it's, it's something that might have justification in it. Like maybe you have reason for getting angry, you know, but it very quickly becomes something that's not good. Part of what we are as humans is made to be angry. We should get it, be getting angry at times. But very quickly, the enemy is there to take it into a place where, you know, we are, we are denigrating the image of God in someone else. Because that's the, the sin of anger, is to put down, to squelch out in some way, whether by word or by deed, the image of God in another human being. And so we're very quickly led to do that. So that's, that's one thing that uh, we can understand about that temptation. Same thing if we're tempted to get high or to get drunk. You know, what is it that happens? You get to the end of the week, and what are you feeling? What are you thinking? You know, I've had, it was such a hard week. It was so difficult this week. And with all the things that I have to bear with, all the things that I have to carry, you know, don't I deserve a little break? A little break from righteousness. <laughs> well, what's going on there? Well, actually, probably a lot of that's true. You probably have had a very hard week. You probably do need some rest. You need to find rest for your soul. There probably is a lot that you are bearing with. And yet, you have to recognize there is an intelligence there in that moment that is bent on your destruction, that wants to lead you to a place um, to, to exploit the beast, to seek rest in a place that's illegitimate for you. So these are ways to understand our temptations. It's a kind of the biblical view is a more full-bodied view so that we can, we can understand what we're dealing with here. And you say, you say to me, okay, well, that's interesting, you know. Maybe I can understand my temptations that way. 
But how is that going to help me? I could, I could understand my temptations really well, and I could still fall. I still am going to fall. What makes the difference? Well, what makes the difference is also in this passage. Remember how many things I said were out there in the wilderness? How many things did I say? Three, right? Um, but I missed one, didn't I? What was the third thing that Jesus found out in the wilderness? Who can tell me? He found, the, the, he found Satan, right? He found the wild beast. What else did he find out there? Angels. That is the help of God. You know, my friends, this tells us a great deal. This tells us a great deal about the attitude of God toward those who are being tempted. Great deal. Why? Because this is Jesus Christ who's getting help here. God is sending help to Christ in the midst of his temptation. He's ministering spirits. Why does that tell us about God's attitude toward you? Because, friends, if Jesus Christ was not left alone in his point of temptation, it means that God's heart is not stony towards you when you're being tempted. He is not, he is not against you saying, ah, this guy again, ah, oh, this woman again, here it goes. No, he is right there with you. How do we know? Because Jesus Christ got help. Now look, if there was anybody who could have gone through this and come out the other side without sinning, it was Jesus Christ. If there's anybody who could have gone and met this temptation and actually could have done it without help, it was Jesus. He proves this kind of in events later on in his life. And yet, God did not want him to be without help. The Father didn't want him to be left alone, and so he wasn't his temptation. And if that is the attitude toward Christ, then you can be sure, friends, that you will not be left alone at the point of your temptation. This is crucial for you to overcome what you are seeking to overcome. You have got to know that God is there. He's out there with the natural and the supernatural. He's there. You know, one of the few places in this country left that you could say was an actual, actual wilderness is Death Valley, out in the Mojave Desert, you know, on the eastern side of California. It's this amazing place. If you've ever been there, it is just wilderness. I mean, it's just, it's just desolate wilderness. And I had the privilege of going out there when my family was young uh, with these, uh, these little kids that we had. I think I was doing a wedding out there, and, and we were able to get a vehicle and drive in for a few days into Death Valley. We drove into this place, and um, there's one place in Death Valley, where it is just sand dunes. It's just sand dunes, as far as you can see. It's sort of like the Sahara, right there in the middle of America. You know, there's these sand dunes, and it's, that's the only thing there. It's just sand. And you can drive right up to them. We drove right up to them, you know, and we got out. And I had me and my, you know, my little sons, and we were like, let's hike to the top of the sand dunes. You know, the tallest sand dune that we could see. And there was this one that was a real tall one, didn't look too far away. And we're like, let's go hike up there. 
So, you know, we set off and it was like, you know, Commander Sam and his, in the, you know, in the Foreign Legion. We had towels over our heads and stuff. We're, we're traipsing up. Let me tell you a little bit of wisdom about being out in the desert, okay? Just in case you ever need this, okay? Things seem close and they're really far away, all right? I just want you to know this. When the only thing around you is sand, <laughs> just sand, that's it. You think that something's close, and it's really much farther away. There's, this, there's a perspective problem. And so we started out to climb up to the top of the tallest sand dune. We had to get up to the top of one sand dune, and I was like, oh, wait a second. There's another sand dune that comes before that one. And so we go down, you know, we traipse back up, and we get to the next sand dune. And I'm like, wait a second, there are three more sand dunes to get to that next one before we get one. So, but, you know, we just kept on traipsing because we were us. You know, and uh, so up and down, up and down, we finally get, we, I think we actually made it to the very top of this, this tall sand dune. But you know what happened when we did that? Night fell. So there we were out in the middle of this uh, wilderness, and the night had fallen, and it got dark really fast. Let me give you another point of wisdom. When you're out in just sand dunes, there are no streetlights. So we turn around, we realize we're going to have to try to get back to where we started, and we can't see a thing, you know? And the, and the stars started coming out. It was gorgeous. I couldn't really appreciate it because it was, it was still so dark we just couldn't tell where we were going. And you could think, well, let's try to just go back. But, you know, you could walk around for a long time there and, and just not come to anywhere and be going around in circles. And so I realized we were in trouble it is not a safe place to spend the night because, you know, even if you had the water and you, you know, had protection from the temperature, it gets very cold. Um, there are sidewinder trails all along the, the, the sand. Like when the sun was up, you could see. Um, so we were not out there just by ourselves. It was us and the rattlers. And uh, so we were in trouble. Uh, yeah. You know, I used to preach and my family would be sitting in the front row. I could always turn to them when I was recounting episodes like this and I, and I could ask them, you know, did I scar you for life? You know, and they, we could get an answer. But they're, no, they're not here anymore. So um, I'll just have to tell you, yes, I scarred them. <laughs> I traumatized them, I'm sure. Um, so there we are coming up to one of these sanders trying to find our way back. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the darkness, these two lights Bleep, bleep, go on on the horizon. <clears throat> and it turns out my wife turns out to be a pretty smart cookie. And she realized what was going on. She pointed the car towards the dunes and she turned on the headlights. And that was what guided us back. We realized that we could follow those headlights and every time we came up to the top of the dune, just keep the headlights in front of us and we were able to get back. But let me tell you, that moment when those headlights came on, that was the saving moment, and I realized down in my heart, we were not alone out there. We were, it wasn't just us and the Rattlers out there. We weren't alone. We weren't left alone. And friends, that is exactly the moment that you need to come to in your temptation, that you realize you are not being left alone, that he's with you. And he's with you to give you what Hebrews 4 says, the two things that he won for us when he went out there. It was grace and mercy. 
And he is out there to give you grace and mercy at the point of your temptation. He didn't leave Jesus alone. You are not left alone. And that is your way through. That is precious. If you can hold on to that, you realize that. You realize that your place of temptation becomes a point of contact with the divine. It is where you meet God. And you can taste him in that moment. And this is why the Holy Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness. This is why he had to go. Timothy Treadwell did not have to go, but Jesus Christ did. He had to go out there in order to do battle for us. What was the battle? It wasn't with guns. It wasn't with knives or, or, or forks or, or anything. It was, it was with temptation and the resistance of temptation because he resisted to the end. He reversed the curse. That is why Jesus could come back, open his mouth in verse 15 and say, now the kingdom is at hand because of what he did out there in the wilderness. He met the wild, untamable forces. He met the devil and he overcame. That means when you're out there in the wilderness with, with the sidewinders, you are not alone. He doesn't leave you alone. So with each of these temptations, you realize that you have the two things that you need in a point of temptation, grace to overcome and even mercy when you fail. That's what Hebrews 4 says that we receive. So you are battling your sexual immorality. You have these inordinate desires. What is it that you know? You know that Jesus Christ came and resisted far more than you ever endured. And yet, he never gave in. He never sought to possess something that wasn't his, even with his eyes. And because he did that, you can have the victory because he's with you in it. Or when you have your angry outburst and you are just feeling like uh, humiliated and so, so angry, you recognize Jesus was humbled by the people around him far more than you ever will be. And yet he never sinned in that anger. That brings victory to you. When you're feeling like the temptation to be dishonest because it's just too hard to tell the truth, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, Jesus Christ, he was honest and it killed him. But when he did that, it, it gave you entrance into the kingdom. Or you get to the point where it's the end of the week and you are tempted to get high, you're tempted to get drunk. What do you know? You know that Jesus Christ denied drugs on the cross. When he most needed them, he turned them down. And he did that to open up entrance to you to the kingdom. And he has a reward for you that is greater than any boss. You can find your rest in him because he's there. This is what he's done for us. This is what we're going to celebrate now as we're coming to the table. Daniel shut the mouth of lions, and so did Jesus Christ. He outgrowled the grizzlies. He slept with the scorpions, and he, overcome, he overcame Satan and a serpent. He did what just 
just like the, the ancient prophet Ezekiel said he would do. When Ezekiel said, <clears throat> Ezekiel 34, I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forests in safety. Amen. Let us turn our attention now and come to the table of our Lord. <clears throat>